What's up, witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today, we will be talking about the book, Practical Elemental Magic by David Rankin and Sarita D'Este from 2008. So, you know, their bios together and apart are really extensive. They've done so much. So just really quickly, they were students and practitioners of Western esoteric tradition from Wales. Um, you know, David's an esoteric researcher, magician, Kabbalah, grimoire tradition, uh, Greco-Egyptian magic, ceremonial magic, British folklore, European mythology. He was initiated into the Alexandrian, an Alexandrian coven. So, I mean, authored over 30 books. Sarita is an ancient Greek historian, uh, ancient Aegean religions, ancient Egypt, and Hermetic Celtic. I mean, the list just keeps going on for these two. So, I mean, these people know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, why did we choose this book? Why did I choose this book? I kind of feel like it's time to take the proverbial gloves off. It's time to start delving into things that are beyond just the beginning. But mm-hmm. this book, I would still say, is the beginning of getting really deeper into the elements. So before we talk about anything else, I got to do my quote. Yes. And the quote here is, in mastering the four elements within and without, we master ourselves, bringing the external forces of the natural world and the internal forces of our existence into harmony. And I think, um, I mean, I love that quote, but I also think that it's important for people to realize when we're talking about the elements, doesn't matter what tradition you're coming from. Doesn't matter pretty much what magic you're practicing. The elements are key everywhere, including the three major religions. So we really are talking about the building blocks of any witchcraft. But we're going to go a little bit deeper into just that, which is exactly what the book is about, because it's talking about more than just working with the elements, but working with elementals, working with archangels. So um, I think it's a really good first book, but it really, there's intense work that has to happen, and they give you a lot of things in here to follow. So it's not like you're on your own, but it's not a book to read and go, oh, this is kind of cute. Let me try this. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that other books should be treated that way. But this is the kind of book where if you're not going to take this incredibly seriously, um, I mean, I'm not going to say bad things could happen, but you could be unprepared for what you could find. Yeah. So I definitely think that this is a type of book. And they mention other really good books, things that we're going to keep talking about on the podcast. But they also talk about other books in here and other places you can go get more information. And I think that I just think that we need to state that from the beginning that this is serious. So if you're going yeah. to be doing some of these meditations, and I'm going to talk about one in particular um, that is really good, but you need to take this stuff seriously. And this is what we're talking about when we say every episode, do the work. You know, this book is going to help you do the work, but you can't just say, let me just skip to chapter three and let me just try this type of thing. You know, it's not about just trying. It's about really incorporating it. Yeah. One of the things that I do like, and I don't know if you picked up on this, I like that he goes back to the beginning, as it were. We're talking about uh, Plato. We're talking about Aristotle. You know, we're going back, you know, um, to, I can't even say his name, Empedocles? Empedocles? That feels right. <laughs> right? Right. Fifth century BCE. Yeah. Um, that really talked about formalizing um, the four elements and the deities. So, you know, this is not something that's new. It's something that, again, a lot of different traditions have used. 
Yeah, and I mean, that those first two chapters really do contain a lot of content as far as historical context and, like, research, which is always, as we know, my favorite kind of thing to see, right? The footnotes telling us where he got it, love that. Um, it's It's a very interesting beginning to really kind of get a strong grasp on how this has developed. Um, and unlike other magic, right, when you're working with the elements, these are things we can see. These are tangible. Yeah. Right, with the exception of maybe air. You can't really see air, but you feel it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's definitely things that we can work with. And I think it's something that helps us as we get started in our journey to have these things that are tangible for us. I think it's really important, especially when we talk so much about, you know, visualization and how do you visualize? Well, you don't really have to visualize these things as we can have representations of them everywhere. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he's got a table, table of intention. And I really love that because, and he says it in the book, uh, they say it in the book, you know, you use this table so that you start to get a feeling so you start to understand yes what different elements represent how they can be used but then as you work with it you'll start realizing oh you know what else i can add to this right mm-hmm. we're still keeping in line with what the elements represent but you can start adding to it so i like that he said this is not just this is not just it it's about adding to this constantly and to working with the elements and seeing how how other ways you're finding that you can use them outside of just the table. And I think that's key. I think that when you have a book that's like, okay, here are the rules, follow these rules, don't go outside these rules, right? And I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that they're saying go outside the rules, but they're definitely saying, okay, here are the rules. Now, how are you going to work on it? And how are you going to increase the knowledge that we've given you to, you know, branch out and really be able to make it workable for you? So I think that's, Another good thing that I like about this book a lot. Absolutely. I do have a concern, I guess, a confusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so in those first two chapters, he also has these tables that kind of explain all of the associations mm-hmm. for the elements. Um, and I just feel kind of weird about all of the information that's being provided because it it feels like it's coming from like 16 different paths or like 16 different places and they they don't all really make sense for me together Mm. um some of it is very clearly like kabbalah and um like pre-christian mysticism kind of thing and i you know i think we've talked on the podcast before about like not being big fans of of mixing Christianity into paganism. Um, and it feels weird to be like, oh, the archangel of air, you know, the, the demon king, like that feels like, why am I working with those? You know, okay, why, well, why? Why? I don't, I, it's weird. Okay. So here's the thing. Me, I've always said it on the podcast, not raised in a Christian household, um, but the archangels are something that I do work with and my particular archangel. Okay. So, you know, how does he talk about the archangels and how do I understand the archangels? So what he's saying about, they're saying about the archangels is that they're not the bosses, but they do kind of oversee. They kind of are, the different archangels have like mm-hmm. their place in overseeing or being the caretakers of these different elements, right? Mm-hmm. 
the idea of angels and Christianity, you know, Christianity has co-opted so much from different pagan traditions that I think it's about taking them back in a sense and about saying you can call them angels, you can call them other things, but we're talking about these spiritual beings that are kind of in charge of different things, to put it in a, you know. That, I, that makes sense. No, okay. I guess I just like... You don't like the term archangel. I don't, yeah. I think that if, if it's supposed to be the kind of thing where we're like taking it back, take it back. You know? like. But what I'm saying about take it back is that is a, is a term angel a Christian thing? Is it really? Or is it something that we just associate with Christians now? Well, when you're using also like the Christian name of said angel. Right. That, that I think, or, you know, he mentions the, there's a, another name of the angels when he talks about them. I don't remember what the other name is from. Um, but if you're using the, the Christian name and you're using the Christian term, then, then you're not really taking it back. You're just using the Christian version. Well, I guess, I mean, are you talking about like seraphims or no? Well, I mean, even like. The Archangel Raphael for air. Right. That's, that's, that's a Christian dude. That dude is, like, in the Bible. Right. Why? I... So this is what I'm trying to, to say from my, from my point of view, and I'm not saying mm-hmm. this is correct, okay? The Archangels were written about in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That means they existed prior to the Bible, which means they existed prior to Christianity, Christianity, the Bible is just a book. The, right. It's a book that gave names. I understand what you're saying. You're saying that why call it, you know, St. Yeah. Michael or, or the Archangel Gabriel or Uriel or whatever, right? But at the same time, I'm like, if these are terms that are associated with them, then what is... I don't, I don't have a problem with angels. I don't, I don't associate them with Christianity. Yeah. I guess for me, uh, as I work in like reconstructing the Greek practice... If these spirits existed in things before Christianity, where's the record of them? Right? And maybe that's something that I have to research personally, but especially, like, as this book continues, it just feels like repurposed um, Kabbalah, repurposed from Christianity, which I think, you know, when we talked about ceremonial magic, I think is something that comes up is that a lot of times ceremonial magic has taken things from Kabbalah and been like, all right, we're doing this now. Yeah. And it's like, it, it feels weird to me. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm not going to say that it, it, that that doesn't make sense. Cause it does make sense that it would feel weird. Um, you know, the terms, when he talks about them, you know, archangel, but he also says beings a lot. Mm-hmm. The idea that they are beings. Right. Yeah. They're beings that are not part of the realm, but oversee the realm. You know, it's, I think also we are using terms that people are going to be familiar with to be able yeah. to connect to an essence that you might be unfamiliar with. The idea that the archangels are overseers of a realm of the elements might be something brand new. Now, yeah, does do they take from Kabbalah? Yeah, but that's also they're kind of upfront about their background and the studies that they've done. 
Yeah. So I think that they are going to pull from these different things. For me personally, I kind of like to see that. And maybe it's because in my own practice, I've pulled from different things to kind of put it together. I don't think that my practice has been linear. I don't think that I've had one tradition that I have stuck to and just kind of only followed. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that maybe that's why I kind of enjoyed this and why I think that looking at their bibliography, looking at the books that they mention, I don't know, maybe maybe that's what something we'll do in the podcast. We'll pull some other books so we can start making yeah. connections because I think that might be key for people because I'm sure you're not the only person who's looking at this or listening to us, I should say, and going, wait a minute, Archangels, what are we doing now, right? Yeah. Is this part of magic? And it is. It doesn't have to be, right? You don't have to yeah. vibe with this. It also would be very reasonable to look at this text and look at this big list of associations and be like, all right, well, the ones that are... Work, that are going to work in my practice are X, Y, Z. And the ones that aren't going to work are one, two, three. And I'm just not going to use those. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can do that. Um, however, what I, what I would recommend, I mean, we kind of jumped ahead. That was chapter six, the archangels. And I kind of well, want to go back <laughs> a little bit. Like, yeah, it's because he, he gives us that chart on page 21, and I, I spent a lot well, of time yeah. looking at those charts being like, hmm, <laughs> what's this? Okay, so let's just jump around a little bit. Um, so he tells us, you know, a little bit about, why do I keep saying he? It's two people. They. Um, they. Um, <laughs> the patriarchy so, is why you keep saying he. Yeah, it is. And that's what's really annoying me right now, to be honest with you. Which is I completely get it. When I'm in school, I use they all the time for people. Like, I use it all the time. Especially if I don't know. For this, especially, when your brain is doing so much to analyze and put thoughts together and, like, really delve into the work, then sometimes the rest of your brain is just, like, not functional. Like, there are so many times when I'm editing the podcast where I have to like cut out because I'm just going (laughs) because I can't make the words function properly while I'm trying to get the thought together. That Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, So they take some time to talk about every single element, just kind of like an overview of every single element. Right. But then talk about jumping around. They talk about the elemental interaction. Right. So it's the physical, the spiritual, the four elements around us at all times. And kind of like what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Like as much energy as you put in. So how do we even work on that? And that's when we get to the meditations on all four. So then by the time you get to chapter four, you have a meditation so that you can get in tune with all of the four elements, which I think is important. And then by the time you get to chapter five is the unification right. So... That's why I was kind of saying, like, when you do this book, you definitely should take whatever you want from it. But I think I think people need to do these meditations the way they have them planned out. Before you can say, because here's the thing, you might read this and go, okay, I'm not going to use this, not using that. But then if you go into meditation and actually do this stuff, you might you might have another understanding or like a new understanding, not even another understanding of what they wrote, but a new understanding for yourself of how you might want to use the element. And I think that's what makes this great because you can make this totally customizable to you. 
but I think the steps they have for you are pretty good. So I would definitely recommend doing the meditations on all four, then doing the unification right. Um, because you have to do, you know, the way they described it is that you have to do the ceremonial kind of like balancing ritual. Yeah. Right? Um, so that way you can kind of see how the elements work within you. And when I say within you, I also mean, I don't mean like physically in your body, but like spiritually and how you can use them in your practice. So I think that that last unification, right, is really cool um, because you do have to be in a state of balance. And we've said that, right? Never yeah. do a spell if you're upset, even if it's a spell to help someone because you're not in balance. And that's the key by working with the elements is to make sure that you and therefore your practice is in balance. So I really like that, that they do that. And then after that, yeah. we get into the archangels. Yeah. I always love when a book has like a nice written out explanation of the thing that you're supposed to do. Mm. Right. Like I, especially for those of us who are not um, in certain practices or for those of us who are starting out, like I like to be told what to do. Um <laughs> Yeah. I like to be told what to do. So, it, like, the fact that it lays out, like, the series of meditations in order, I think is super useful. You know, space them out. Like, don't do them all in one day. Give yourself yeah. some time. I think it's it's a really valuable tool in that and way. I don't, I don't really know any witches that don't explore the elements. So that's why I think this is a good book no matter where you're coming yeah. from, you know. Um so aside from giving you descriptions of the archangels, speaking of meditations, they also give us meditations on the yeah. archangels and how to focus on each. So, you know, I would say that might be the thing that you want to think about before you do if you're like, mm, I'm not sure about this. I don't know. Like, I don't think that's one that you absolutely must do, but I mm -hmm. would definitely recommend people to give it a shot with one, just see what that feels like and not think of it as a Christian being because I don't see them as Christian beings. You know, I can call yeah. them archangels and they may be in the Bible. And, you know, most of the depictions that I get of the archangel that I work with the most, um, I know that they're Christian images, right? Um, and I'm okay with that. I don't know. It's just something, I don't know. But yeah, yeah everyone... It it's very, this chapter is very Christian. Yeah. Um, so just like be emotionally prepared for that when you go in that it's, it's, there's a lot of talk about God in here. Well, and I also want to say this when it comes to the background of the people that were writing this. I think maybe one of the reasons why I'm more open to it is that these people are not Christian. They've done a lot of studying and mm -hmm. they have worked in a lot of different traditions so for me, I kind of get where they're coming from. So I, I'm yeah. going to tell people like, yeah, you're right. Be prepared for it. But this is not somebody who is holding on to Christian values or holding on to, you know, anything like that to try to incorporate it. I think these are people that have studied ancient ways and have realized like these are the most modern names that we have for these beings. So we're going to use yeah. them. And they just happen to be Christian ones. Um, but definitely let us know, like, let us know what yeah. you think if you pick up the book and you, and, or, or just let us know what you think of archangels. Does anybody out there work with them? Um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely would love to hear from our listeners because yeah. you guys have really good takes and, uh, we love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. 
So then we get into elemental beings. And I feel like this is where the, um, what is it when you, you have the, the ratings on TV? And it's like, this is for like mature viewers yes. only. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this is where, why were you laughing though before, before I go into so- this? I, um, the way that I went through the book this time is I just wrote a bunch of stuff on post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I wrote is elementals are trying to marry humans. Very medieval. (laughs) And like, it's, uh, that's just funny. It was just funny when I read it and it's funny now. Yeah. Um, but that's not true with all of them. Yeah. I think the most important thing with elementals. Now, elemental beings are different from the elements. And I think that's what people sometimes get confused they should always be treated, and you should always treat the, you know, the elements with respect. But the elemental beings, you definitely treat with respect. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the nice things that they do is that they, they really broke them down. But the most important thing that they say is that they're primal and they're powerful. So, yeah. you know, promising something to an elemental or starting to work with an elemental and then going, yeah, I don't feel like it. Yeah, that's not good. You can meditate on the elements and decide you want to work with elements or not. But once you start with the elementals, you have to really get into your head that this is something you want to do and that you're going to dedicate your time to this. And, you know, so we should talk about that. The most important thing is many of the elementals that I see when it comes to if you go into a witch store or you go online, you see some of um, the same ones. You see the same elementals constantly popping up. And what I liked that they did was that they split it up and said, look, some of them are very simplistic. Those are the ones that have like a one track mind. Like just think of a dog that's hard to train, like the breeds that are hard to train. It's kind of like that. And not knowing their limitations and not taking their power seriously is what gets people messed up. Yeah. So I think this chart definitely shows you. And you'll notice, you'll notice like the salamander is there. And it's like, that's the one that always comes up, which is why when people say to me, do you work with elementals? And I'm like, no, because I really, well, anyway, let's start talking about it. But yeah, uh, there is a thought. Um, And yeah, like you said, the medieval thought was that elementals had no souls. Mm -hmm. And how they got souls was to have a baby with a human, to marry a human. Which I think is so funny. I love that that humans for such a long time like really truly thought that we were the shit, that we were the best thing that had ever set foot on planet Earth and that everything around us was just constantly trying to get with us or at us like the (laughs) ego, the ego that medieval people had was absurd and it is so funny. I think we still have that ego to a lot to a certain degree. I mean, I don't know about. Yes. Anyway, but one of the things that is believed is that working with an elemental is if a magician works with an elemental, they can help to raise that elemental. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again, I think it depends. So, yeah, yeah, so he classifies them, tells you who to work with, maybe some that you want to avoid, especially if you're Mm -hmm. just starting out. So I think that's really helpful because I think a lot of times, like I said, you walk into witch stores and you'll just see the elementals there. And I'm thinking... I hope people understand that when you pick up the statue of an elemental being, it represents the elemental being, not the elements. Yeah. Right? And I think that for a long time, people have just kind of used those terms interchangeably. So I think this is a good book. If you really have no idea, like, what the differences are, I think they're really good at um, explaining that. Yeah. There's a card in um, the Liminal Space deck called Mm -hmm. Be Careful Signing Contracts. And I think that that card 
that energy is something that we need when working with any spirits, but especially when working with the elemental beings. Think about what decision you're making and what relationship you're building before you build that relationship. Because as someone who is oath-bound to a goddess over some stupid shit, it's not worth it. I mean, it is. It, it has been worth it for me. I've been very lucky. But, like, I really could have gotten myself into a situation that would, you know, be un- that would be unsafe or that could undermine, you know, things that I'm working on. Like, you don't want to sign a contract spiritually, um, metaphorically. You don't want to make a promise that you haven't put serious thought into. Um, and I say that not just from having read the text, but also as a person who didn't do it. Please don't make my mistake. Do you want to talk about what you did, or what's or or no? You'd rather. Oh uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely can. No, I can. Okay, <laughs> I definitely can. Um, I was trying to help my sister get a job. Um, and I was working very closely with um Eris at the time. And I do at this point, looking back on it, do I think that it was sort of like a she kind of like nudged me a little bit and was like, y- you need to do this. Um, yeah, but I just my I got into my brain that I was going to promise this to Eris and she if if she accepted, she would help. Um, and I how do I explain this promise? I promised her hard work. That, like, that was the, the contract. I will give you hard work and you will help me in this. Um, for how long? Well, how long was the contract for? Hard work for? Ha 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 ha. No. Uh, this is why I'm telling people to think things through. No, there was no time limit. There was no, like, you know, get out of jail free clause. There was nothing. It was just, I will give you hard work and you will help in this. And, uh, has it been an incredibly beneficial thing for me? Yes. Right. Like it made me conscious of where I was being lazy. Right. And it made me conscious of places where I could improve my life. Um, but had, had I were had I promised something different, or had Eris not been a goddess that I had already been working with, or had she been particularly petty, that I could I could be working myself to the bone. Like I I really fucked up the wording. Like I really fucked up that promise. Wow. Um, yeah, and I thank the gods every day that I have been as lucky as I have been because at any point. It could have just ended incredibly badly. And this is a promise that I made as a practitioner who's been, you know, doing this for a decade, more than a decade, who had a good relationship and has a good relationship with the gods that she's interacting with. Um, And I, because I didn't take the time to think about it, put myself in a position that could have been incredibly dangerous. Not even thinking I'm a new practitioner reading a book about elementals and I make a like (sighs) I I would be very nervous to make a promise to 
any of the elementals because you can just see in your daily life what these elements can do when they're out of control. You know, recently in the Lower Hudson Valley, there was a, a fireman who died. You know, one of the first firemen to die in our area in quite a while, saving people from this out of control fire. Um, you can see it in tornadoes and hurricanes, what air will do. Um, I don't want to drown ever. That shit is horrifying, <laughs> right? So I just feel like I feel like somebody's mom right now, you know, <laughs> where it's like, sweetie, don't make the same mistakes that I did. Yeah. And as we know from being teachers, um, kids are going to just do whatever they, they want and they're going to learn the hard way. But God, some yeah. people do think about it. And that's what we're saying. Like, it's not don't yeah. work with them, but definitely know. I mean, first of all, when you're working with some elementals, it is for a particular period of time. I just always, you know, oh, my God, that's something I always think about. The due date. When uh-huh, is no, the that would have been game? smart. Yeah. So maybe you can renegotiate. I don't know. I mean, and again, like, I'm very lucky. It's been a very positive experience. Um, But yeah, like, a due date would be really good. A a due date would be probably step one in your be careful signing a contract. Maybe do a short thing to see if you like it. Yeah. Then you can (laughs) re-up, like, re- (laughs) because, whew, forever is not a good idea. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm dumb. Well, going on with the book, one of the things (laughs) I like about this, I don't know what to tell you. That just sounds scary to me. So what I do like about this book, um, well, I like a lot of things, but they take you through the steps of the preparation for ritual. So here's the thing. I'm not going to say this book is great for people who are just beginning, but in a way, if you've already done some research and you're really not sure how you want to start any practice, I like this. I like this because it goes back to maybe the most essential part of what we do, which is balance, which is respect for what's around us physically, spiritually. And you can actually start with this before you even decide to add any type of deity into your into yeah. your practice, right? He's got the different steps, right? Preparation for ritual, intent, timing, location, purification, circle and altar, symbols, tools, and sequence. That could be said for anything. Yeah. When you think about any kind of ritual, this is it. So in a way, if you are just starting and you want to just start now with elementals, but if you want to start with the <laughs> yeah, elements. Do yeah. Yeah. I think this is a great book to go, or even if you're just like, okay, you know what? I'm reevaluating what it is yeah. I'm doing. I'm really evaluating my craft. I want to come down to the bare bones. What would I do? I think this is a great book for that. Or on days when you're just like, you know what? I'm not changing my craft, but I need not a less complicated ritual, not a less intense ritual, but I need almost like a reset. I need like a cleansing. Mm-hmm. I think just doing a ritual preparing yourself to work with just the elements i think is a great thing personally yeah i agree it's a very ceremonial ritual um Mm -hmm. just for context like when you look at it there's going to be seals there's going to be like it's a very sort of old school esoteric ceremonial magic kind of vibe which makes sense based on the background um 
the more that we read, the cooler I think ceremonial magic is. Just, it's so... I'm gonna say intense, but I don't want people to take that the wrong way, because it's not, like, too much work, right? It's not, mm-hmm. like, intense in a difficult way, necessarily, but just intense in, like, it encapsulates so much. It really gets, like, so much into that ceremony and that ritual, and I think it's very interesting, um, even if you don't do ceremonial magic, to really, like, look into it. I think it's something we'll definitely be talking about more yeah. on the podcast, for sure. So, the Elemental Temples. And it's chapter 13, by the way, which I think is a, I don't know, number 13 in witchcraft is just kind of like, ooh. So, this is a place you can visit to work with elemental magic. And when we say visit, you can't take a bus there. <laughs> it's all visualization. Um, but it's a way to focus your energy so that you can. And I'll be, you know, I'm curious how that this would work for you mm-hmm. and visualization. But the idea that you are going to the place where the elemental beings are, these spiritual beings, and you can talk to them. And, and the thing is, you know, to see if they want to work with you. And and, and he and they said, you know, I, I, at worst, they're indifferent. Yeah. That you're there. But at best, they want to be helpful. So, I don't know. Have you ever done anything like that? Tried to well, visit, here, tried to travel to astral I, temples? Suddenly, does astral projection count as visualization? Yes. I think well, so. I mean, I shouldn't just jump to that. I don't know if somebody would say no. I think yes. <laughs> Well, because here's my question. The assumption in witchcraft is that astral projection is literally a transference to another plane, right? Right. Okay. So then technically, it's not visualization because if you're going to another plane, if there is a, a travel aspect to it, you should be perceiving through your senses in that plane. Right. So my brain is not creating the image from, like, a, a thought. It's creating an image from perception. But this perception is different from perception. Like, you know, you're looking at me through the phone. Like, it's not right. that kind of perception. It's still an inner working, even though it's a spiritual working. I kind of feel like you're looking at it the same way, even though you're not... I understand what you're saying. Visualization, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to visualize an apple. Oops, there it is. Okay, I did it. And right. when you're project, when you're actual projection, you are seeing this thing. Like you said, you are perceiving it the way you would perceive, but it's still, I don't know. To me, it's still, I kind of feel like I agree coming from the same you. place. I don't know how to explain like, it. In the sense that it is internal, but I guess I'm wondering if that would bypass my inability to visualize is my my version of visualization specifically for my own mentally created imagery. But if I were to, I've never astral projected or anything like that, but if I were to do that, would that be different for me in the experience of it? See, I would say yes, but I won't know unless you try it. I'm going to have to try it. I would think that you would. Try to come see me. Uh, you, Why are you laughing? 
I feel like that's hard. I feel like I have to do like yeah. baby steps before yeah. I can do that. You have to like go into your backyard and then you have to go like down the road and then you have to like, yeah, you wouldn't be able to just. Got it. All right. So guys, I will keep you updated on my astral projection practice and, you know, keep an eye out in the next couple of podcasts to see how it goes. Do you know my brother used to do that from California to New York? That's cool yeah. as fuck. So my grandfather, um, my dad's father, was really big on it. And he would come visit and I would see him. And actually, I knew him before I met him because he used to come see me. I never told you this. No. Okay. So my mom said, because my grandfather was in Puerto Rico, and my mom said that, like, she would be feeding me or whatever. And I would start laughing and, like, looking over her shoulder. And I would point, And she's like, all right, somebody's here. And then eventually I was able to speak. And I called him the white man. Because I didn't have a name for him. My grandfather was very pale and mm-hmm. went gray. I never knew him with any other color of hair than white. So just imagine a really pale, white-haired man to a little kid. That's the white man. Like, I don't know. What else would you I call love him, that. right? So my mother started to put two and two together and said to my father, do you think your father's here? So he called him. And he was like, yeah, you haven't brought my granddaughter to Puerto Rico, so I'm going to go visit her. I love so it. my father was like, all right, stop coming over here. We're going to take her this summer. So my mom said I got to Puerto Rico and they were like going to say, this is your grandfather. And I was like, oh, my God, it's the white man. And that I ran over to him like I just knew he was my friend. That's cute. That's so yeah. cute. That is cute, right? So Damn. my brother was really good at astral projecting. And the funny thing is, like, I would be home like watching TV and I'd go <gasps> and I'd look over and I would see him and I'd go, ma. And as soon as like I yelled, the phone would ring because he knew I was telling. Yeah, he'd call the house and be like, she's like, were you just here? And he would laugh because he was like a terrible liar. And it'd be like, like, stop doing that. Like, it freaks me out. Shit. Yeah, well, I don't like seeing things, but that's beside the point. Like not when I'm not, you know, like I like to be chilling in my house, but. Of course, you know. but that is cool fundamentally. Like that is a very awesome skill. But it is hard work. Like, no lie. Yeah. But once you do it, it's like anything, right? When you first started roller skating, did you fall? Yes. Do you fall now? Probably. Oh, see, (laughs) I don't don't do anything that I'm not naturally good at when I start it. Are you kidding me? Do you understand now why Eris was like, yeah, hard work sounds like a good idea for you? (laughs) I'm not kidding. My dad, to this day, I am going to be 30 years old. My father, to this day gives me shit about how I used to say, no, no, you can't take the training wheels off my bike. You can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then literally he took them off and I immediately was riding my bike with no training wheels. Didn't fall. No problems. He was like, see, you think that you can't do things and then you do them and you're, it's like, I'm sorry, dude. I don't know why I'm like this, but if I am not naturally good at it, I will not do it. (sighs) Terrible. By the way, you just told everybody that you're not 80 years old. You love saying you're 80. You just said you're real age. Just just putting that out there. Fuck. Gemini's not 80. Oh, yeah, because they see you on Instagram and think you're 80. Okay, yeah. Listen, it was a great time while it lasted. <laughs> and I hope none of our students listen to this podcast. They do. I hate to break it to you. Anyway. You- <sighs> I'm 85. Yeah, I'm 85 years old. I've been the same age since I started teaching. I don't think any of my students have realized that 
I have said the same age. Can we talk about the elementaries? Yes, let's talk about the elementaries. I loved this. And also, I have very strong opinions on thought forms. Okay. So, um, I'm going to tell a story first, because I'm a Gemini. I can't shut up. (laughs) One time, I went out with some friends, and we went to, like, a trivia thing. And one of the people uh, we were with, it was, like, late at night. And you know how sometimes when you've been drinking, you, like, start asking, like, serious questions? He was like, oh, do do you consider yourself to be religious? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Um, And so then we got into a discussion about, like, religion and, like, not, not, like, the actual religion, but, like, sort of how how religions come to be and that sort of stuff. Mm. And I made a comment about thought form deity, specifically. Um, And this person was basically like, that's not a thing. That's not, that's not how religion works. Um, you know, that's like, I, I think he pulled one of those, like, that's not the definition, which I hate. But, um, first of all, like, it is a real thing. Um, for those of you who are not knowledgeable about specifically thought form deity, it's when a person creates a version of a deity in their own mind that they work with that is not a deity in the traditional like spiritual sense where it is a separate being that can act on the world but in the sense that it is an exclusively internal experience um sometimes people accidentally create thought form deities because they think they're working with a deity but they haven't been able to build that spiritual connection or, like, actually connect with that deity. So it actually ends up just being, like, an internal experience where you are manifesting yourself, etc. Um, so I was over the moon to be in this book and have them be like, ah, yes, so an elementary is formed by the imagination and the will of the practitioner, and it is a thought form elemental thing. Like, yes. Yes, I was right. Thought forms exist and they're real and I feel validated and like I won. Okay. That's it. That's the right, whole I'm just I win. So elementaries. Um just to talk about them a little bit. I like the idea of them. I don't think that I'd ever want to use one. So, you know, they're they're created for a specific task. Yes. Right? Precision, here's the key thing. Precision is important because what you don't want to do is create something and then unleash it without, honest to God, taking the time to decide. And it's also got a lifespan. Much like a contract, you have to give it a lifespan. (laughs) Yes. You don't want this thing running amok. Um, You can give it like a couple of like, you know, let's go by the moon. That's the example that they use, like a couple of lunar mm-hmm. month span. You can do that. But what you don't want to do is try to create something that lives on and continues going. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's not good. So, you know, how do people usually use them? They can be used as like guardians, um, kind of like muses in a sense. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, you can even put them like in a talisman. 
mm-hmm. any other kind of physical object or even in a jar. I like the idea of the jar because I feel like if you put the date on the jar, you can decide when this thing is like to be released. I'm like, yeah. you know, you put it in something here. I put it in this little dog thing that I have on my desk. I'm going to forget about this thing. Like, I'm not yeah. going to like ever, you know, look at it again. But I think that this is something that you do later rather than sooner. Some of the other things in this book, I think you can do almost right away. And I think this is something you really need to take some time and care before you decide you want to do something like that, because this could be bad. Um, I will say on TikTok, there's this, uh, (laughs) there's this like shifting community where people are, um, I don't really know a lot about how it works, but it's basically like, seems to me like a form of astral projection where they project into their desired reality Mm-hmm. Um, but people are starting to try and use that now to shift in a way that, um, like betters them as people. So they shift into a reality where they're like studying, um, and then they come back and they know stuff. So the elementary almost feels to me like a tool that would work in that same way of like shifting to improve yourself using the the elemental energy the the energy of the element in this context to you know the the example they give in the in the ritual that they write is like i'm your heir you're going to help so and so be clear headed to study for their test um right. that that could work i think in a similar way to the way that people are shifting on tiktok yeah I don't think I've seen that on TikTok. When you said people changing, I thought you were talking about Little Nas. Um, how people, you know, you've seen those TikToks. Probably. People are kind of like, you know, insecure or whatever. And then like their other self is like daring and out there. No. Okay. Not, you know, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, there's like, t- I mean, I think that was a thing like a month ago or something like that. And now I don't see them as much. But yeah, they're there. I am but, on Witch Talk a lot, but, like, I try not to participate in it because oh, like, we could do a whole all. podcast on that because it's on a Witch mess Talk? over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do want to say something about Witch Talk, but I want to talk about something else first because you mentioned air, and they had an example for air. You know, when they talked about those charts and the tables to know the, you know, to know how the elements work, it's important that you really have a grasp of that. Yeah. Because the example they used is somebody who has trouble breathing. And you say, well, okay, I need an elementary of air. No, no, this person maybe needs earth to stabilize, right? So that they can take a breath. You're not pushing more air at somebody who is already having difficulty breathing. So that's something that's key. So even though you think, okay, I got this, this means this, really think about it. You know, that's why I think the later chapters are meant for just that later. Yes. Right. Really feel like you have a grasp on the elements before you even attempt some of these other things. So we want to talk about the elemental deities. Um, I don't love when a book does that um, because I, I don't love the idea of ascribing deities specifically based on one magical practice. Um, mm. Like... And that's, again, probably partially because I'm I'm a reconstructionist. So, like, I, Zeus is not an air god. Um, does he have domain in the sky? Absolutely. But I would never call on Zeus for air magic. That feels beneath him um, as the king of the gods. I do, you know, I, I like that he mentions the, the four wind gods um, 
that that feels reasonable to me. But um, yeah, I it's that's just a personal thing that I don't love. Um, I think that whatever deities you choose to work with could align. And I mean, I, I think Zeus could align with any of the elements. You know, he has a lightning bolt. You could, that could work for fire. Um, maybe not earth. I don't know how to make Zeus work for earth, but water for thunderstorms. Like I could associate all of the elements with him. So I don't love the idea of like the elemental gods but I understand why it's included. Um, if you don't do deity work, that might be more useful to you than it is for me. I, you know, have a a pretty strong understanding of my deities, and I, I don't like to to work with them like that. But that's just you know, that's me. So, and this is something I think that also has been talked about on Witch Talk. You know, as somebody who, in a way, is is a reconstructionist when it comes to the indigenous part of my practice, you know, I see so many witches on there talking about how some things are closed practices mm-hmm. because they're indigenous to people. And then they talk about, you know, Christianity together. And it's like, what? You talk about being colonized, but yet you used the colonizers' religion. There was religion. We had religion before the colonizers. So I have difficulty with people that are like so down on. You're looking at me like I'm confused. Like you're confused. Did do you know what I'm saying? I agree with you, but then archangels. <laughs> okay, and then we have archangels. I guess it's the term archangels because. Angels have existed pre-Christianity. They, they existed pre-Christianity. They were written about because they existed. People have been working with angels prior to this. I, so now, also yes. but Look, for me personally, I started using the term archangel later on in my practice. Okay. Um, I mean, as an espiritista, racionalista, we do talk about the spirits, if you will. Let's not call them angels, okay? Mm-hmm. Kind of like the master spirits that kind of do have domain over different aspects, whether it is the air or the earth, right? The animals, the plants, you know, everything has almost like a master spirit. Now, as I got older, I realized that a lot of these terms really translated into, for some of the, these beings, into archangels. And I went, okay, I'm going to run with it. Like it wasn't really... Not used, but I, I think that we use sometimes terms that people will understand or we will find right, commonality. But then, but then is it Christian? I don't see them as Christian, though. I don't see archangels as Christian. I do see the idea of praying to the saints, and I do see the idea of using a crucifix as a colonizer's religion. I, I don't care how much I magic think... there is in Christianity. I'm not going to be attracted to something that has done nothing and continues to just hurt certain indigenous people. I don't disagree with that. I agree with that. My only concern is, and this is a bigger conversation than I think we can have right now, (laughs) is that Christianity is in every witchcraft practice somehow. Because of the ceremonial magic. 
because of the ceremonial magic. So I don't feel, and this might be also because I am a white lady. Um, I don't feel (laughs) like I can say shit about the people who are using, you know, Christian saints and, and crucifixes and that stuff in their practice and then not say this practical elemental magic book is full of Christian concepts and ideology, but this one's okay and that one's not okay. Like, I, I can't, as, again, especially because I am a white lady, I can't say that. <laughs> oh, I thought you say white lady. A white um, lady. No, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are Latinx that are going to disagree with me on this, and that's fine. Um, you know, I think, like I said, like, I don't think that, Christian magic or ceremonial magic is bad or invalid or anything like that. I just, I guess it's just because of my understanding of archangels and I don't have a problem with the term. Yeah. Regardless of where they kind of come from. Because everything is mixed, but the idea of ritual and ceremonial magic, ceremonial magic, the way we have it, when we talk about witchcraft, when we talk about people here and now, yeah, there's going to be ties to Christianity. However, we have to remember that Christianity took a lot from what was already a ceremonial magical practice. And indigenous I... people had their own ceremonial magic. Yes. I'll give you that one, yes. The Christians that, that started all this didn't think of it out of nowhere. You had ceremonial magicians, and then you had people who added elements of Christianity to it. Christianity I just think that took a lot. Sometimes the conversation around the Christianity in magic gets kind of like swept away by that. You know, when you say, "Oh, well, Christianity took a lot from the previous pagan religions," then it, it's sort of people then use that to kind of sweep it under the rug, and it's like, "All right, we don't have to look at it." And I'm not saying that that's what you're doing, but it just—I right. it, don't think it. I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think that it addresses the issue either. Well, because I think that it's both. I think that Christianity has its own magic. I yeah. think Christianity, and I'm not even going to say they took from other religions. I don't think they took from other religions. I think that that's what we've always been told, right? Um, yeah. You know, Wicca is blah, 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 years old. No, it's not. Yeah. Wicca was created in the 1950s. Right. But there were other people doing other things. And when I think about it, I'm not necessarily thinking about Europe as I am thinking about the people who came here and saw what the um, indigenous people were doing and went, oh, because there's ritual in that. There is magic in that. There is, you know, and of course, that's after Christianity was already formed. So I think that they saw things in Europe. I think that they saw things here. I think that Christianity has come a long way and has evolved in many different... It's there been a different yeah. eras of Christianity where some things were accepted and then all of a sudden that was no longer accepted. And I think a lot of times they block these things out so that they can keep some of these maybe quote-unquote answers or practices yeah. or magic for themselves. And then there's other magic that comes through, right? So I think that to try to take away... Christianity, to try to rip apart what is Christianity from the beginning, what Christianity is now, what they took from European pagans, what they took from indigenous people later on, when you start to like really try to untangle that, it's like you ever get like necklaces caught together? 
all and the you, time. And you have no idea yes. which is this necklace and which is this necklace. And you almost feel like giving up because you go, you know what? I don't want any necklace. I think that's... Sometimes we, I take them to the jeweler and I make the jeweler do it. Okay. I, to me, that's what Christ, Christian magic is. I think that the yeah. influence is it's so convoluted. They've Everything has influenced everything else that to try to separate it is almost as futile as trying to separate two necklaces. Do we need to separate it? No. I don't think that we... I mean, for me, I think that I like to separate the necklaces to see where everything came from. Yeah. But does that mean that at some point I'm going to say, well, you know what? Looks like archangels are Christian. I don't care. Like at this point, I understand where they are from my perspective. And I'm going to keep working with them. I think when I talk about it... um, as a non-white lady, I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> white. White. Uh, for me, I think it comes from... People just complain about everything, okay? <laughs> and one of the things they complain about is this whole idea of, you know, we want to be called this, we want to be called that, because mm-hmm. that those are our roots. So have you analyzed where your magic is coming from like does, yeah. does that doesn't bother you if it doesn't bother you that's fine but i just i find like that i have issues with that i just have issues with that that's my own private personal thing and i don't know if yeah. that's making any sense no and i you know what i think one of the main benefits of this podcast um is our ability to kind of break down these concepts in very different ways because I, I think that, you know, I think it's very clear for, for anybody who was listening that, like, I was coming at, okay, the beginning of Christianity in Europe, and you're coming at Christianity through the lens of a Latinx person um, and how Christianity affected those cultures. And those are two very different conversations. Yeah. But they they do a lot to help untangle those necklaces because if you only look at the way Christianity developed in Europe, or you only look at the way Christianity affected um, like Latinx countries, it doesn't give you that whole picture. And it doesn't allow you as a now magical practitioner to determine where you stand with the Christianity that is in witchcraft and the Christianity that surrounds you in whatever culture you're in. And I feel like having had this conversation, I feel a little bit different. Like, I feel a little less weird about the archangels because as a white lady (laughs) coming from the white (laughs) lady um, countries, like, I'm very resistant. I'm very resistant to that, like, old European Christianity that I think um, is where my head goes most of the time when I think about it. But I'm significantly less resistant to the the latinx incorporation of christianity into their magical practices and so i have to step back and be like all right why am i mad about one and not the other why what's Mm. the point in being (laughs) upset at all um and you're right that it doesn't have to be removed you just have to be conscious of it you know i think about not just how it influenced different countries, but it influenced different countries in different ways. So you have a very different conception of how it's used in magical practice, depending on what country you go to. And also, you know, what 
and I'm thinking about Columbus and, you know, yeah. bringing the indigenous people to Spain as, you know, look what we got, you know, kind of thing, show and tell. Yeah. Um, you know, the way Christianity has been formed, depending on what country in Europe it was, when you think about the Inquisition that happened, when you think about how, um, and this is going beyond witchcraft, we're talking now about yeah. how, you know, um, Ferdinand and Isabel just decided they were going to just clean the country, quote unquote, clean the country, purge it of anybody yeah. that wasn't Catholic. Um, that affected their Catholicism, right? Yeah. We see things there when you think about Easter in certain countries. Um, it, it all comes from the, how it evolved based on the people that were in power, what they decided they were going to do with their religion, right? Yeah. So, you know, and then you think about the whole idea of England breaking from Catholicism, you know, because, hey, I'm getting divorced. Or, or even like the way that Christianity um, grew in Ireland and became so deeply entwined with the previous like fae traditions that were already there to the point where yeah. they live very peacefully together. Right. So that's the whole thing. Like, you know, I don't think we're ever going to separate it because every country and of course, every country had their role in how Christianity developed. Yeah. Right. So it, it's just it's so different and it's so complex. And I don't want to make this a Christian podcast. I just realized now we're so talking about here. Here's the takeaway. <laughs> I think that was a no, I think that was a great conversation. I'm really happy we did it. I feel like yeah, it my brain good. has just expanded. Um, takeaway. Be careful signing contracts. Yes. Be aware of your personal conception of Christianity and magic. One, because you will be confronted by a little bit of Christian linguistics in this book, and you should be able to emotionally deal with that so you can utilize the tools that are in here that are very useful. But also, in a larger conversation that will go on forever in witchcraft, where do you personally, audience member, sit on that line? Yeah. And I think that as we keep going on with the podcast, and there are tons of great books written by witches, and, you know, we've kind of strayed away from saying, you know, a witch in time to sometimes it's a witch in time, sometimes we just say new moon, new book, because, yeah. you know, it really goes beyond just people who identify themselves as witches. And we want to be able to talk about the great ceremonial magicians. We want to talk about uh, Kabbalist influences yeah. in witchcraft. So we're going to be talking about all these different things. I think it makes us better practitioners. It's going to make us better yeah. at our craft. And whether you like the term magician or not, right? A lot of people do say, yeah, that's what I am. Yeah. Right? I'm a ceremonial magician. So I think that whether we take that term or not, we are all in our own little ways practicing magic. And I think to really understand it, we need to look at texts like these and other texts from other traditions to really understand how we get yeah. our traditions today. Whether you call yourself a Wiccan or not, how we do ritual comes from someplace. Where yeah. does it come from? And even if you've been doing ritual a certain way, hey, I like to learn about different traditions all the time to see what can I incorporate? Especially, I think a lot of us get a pass, not on everything, but a lot of us get a pass when it comes to the U.S. because there's so many cultures living here. Yeah. And some of us don't want to delve into our personal cultures, right? Where did my family come from, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But you can get so much from the culture of the land you're living on. So yes. to really understand, it's so many things to understand, which is why this podcast will never get tired of reading and discussing because this conversation 
can just go on forever. And we'll be, yeah. we'll be exploring different avenues as we keep going. So, you know, let us know if there's something you would like us to look into for a future podcast. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sure it's on our up. list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My very long list that I need to put in our spreadsheet. Before we end this podcast, there is something really important that we want to share with you. We have a fun upcoming event. Scorpio, tell us all about it. Well, we're really excited to be able to announce that the Moon Serpent and Bone Market is back live. I know we've talked about it before, and we have even participated in past virtual markets, and they're finally going to be live in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, for people who are not New Yorker are thinking, oh man, I'm going to miss it. No, there's going to be a virtual aspect to it as well. But if you're in New York and you can make it up to Poughkeepsie, um, it's really worth it because it's not just vendors. First of all, it's the third annual Summer Solstice Festival, Friday, June 18th from 6 p.m. to midnight at the Locust Grove Estate, which is 2683 South Road, Poughkeepsie, New York. You can find this information on the Moon Serpent and Bone website, which is just moonserpentandbone.com. And it'll tell you all the vendors, got a list of all the vendors there, and the performances, live performances by belly dancers, fire dancers, snake charmers. There's going to be a carnival barker. I mean, it's going to be wild. And for people that are just going to be able to do the virtual performances, it's not anything bad because you're going to have a sword and snake dancer, burlesque acts. They're not leaving you flat. So yeah. really, there's a lot to do whether you come to the market or not. Tickets should be purchased in advance, however, because it's going to be limited entry. Masks will be required, and you can get them on Eventbrite. They're super cheap. They're $13, and you know you can check out the list of all the vendors before you even you know buy your ticket, but you'll definitely see there's a lot of vendors. It's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be there. Us. Yay. You can come. Please come talk to us if you come. Uh, we're going to have a table. We're also going to be roaming around. We are the official broadcasters of the Moon Serpent and Bone Summer Solstice event. So what are we going to do, Gemini? How are we going to be live for people? So we're going to do a couple of lives as well as a bunch of interesting story posts to really give you some behind the scenes as well as for those of you who might not be coming right at six, she'll let you see what the vibe is, who's where, etc. Um, we're going to be posting our schedule on Instagram. So if you want to know when our lives are going to go up, definitely keep an eye out on our Instagram. Um, that'll be the best place to get the most up-to-date information. And I would say, you know, if you are interested in having us interview folks, you know, short little interviews on Instagram, please, you know, let us know, email us or, you know, send us a message on Instagram. Take a look at the vendors and say, hey, I really want to hear more about so-and-so. And we will find them and we will talk to them for you um, if they're not too busy. I mean, we're going to try our very Absolutely. best to get people to, and, you know, I'm sure they will. I know we want to talk to Amy probably right off the bat. So I would say, you know, maybe around 530, but we'll have the list, but we'll, you know, around yeah. that time before it even opens, we're going to try to bring you some information so that you can start planning accordingly, whether you're coming in in person or whether you are shopping online. So we hope to see you. And of course, keep an eye out on our Instagram stories during the week. We will be posting our favorite uh, vendors and people that we think you should check out. We started on Friday the 4th and we keep doing it throughout the weeks. So just keep an eye out there. We want to make sure that we're spotlighting people that we're excited about. And if you're going to be able to be there, to know where they are. We're so excited to see you guys. Um, I really hope you come out and say hi. Yes, definitely. It's going to be fun. And 
on that note, thank you so much for listening to us, for giving us a platform, for allowing us to do this thing that we love, and for making it possible for us to do things like go to Moon Serpent and Bone and be the official broadcasters of the event. Thank you so much to Sean McShane for our intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons, you're following us. <laughs>